Well, good morning. Good morning, balcony. <laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Mark, one of the pastors. I want to welcome all of you. So glad that you're part of church here today. And not only do we have people here, but next door in venue, uh, people tuning in via Facebook Live. We're just glad, glad. However you're joining us, we are glad you're here. We are in the home stretch of a series that we've been calling Miracle Grow in reference to the fruit of the Spirit. These are character qualities that God develops in our hearts, our lives, uh, through the ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to be talking about growing in gentleness. Uh, gentleness is one of these character qualities listed in Galatians, which is a letter that Paul wrote in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And every week we've been reading these verses together so they might kind of seep down into our hearts and our memory. So I'm going to invite you to do the same this morning. Uh, read out loud with me from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me hear you, church. Let's go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, I got to say, you know, what a milestone for Renee, 25 years. I haven't been a pastor that long, uh, but I have been in full-time ministry between church and Camp Hammer uh, for 31 years, and over the course of those three decades, I've been in a lot of gatherings or occasions where people were sharing uh, prayer requests. Would you pray about this in my life, a concern, a desire, whatever the case might be? And I was thinking this week about if I had ever, in 31 years, heard anyone say, would you please pray that the Lord would make me a more gentle person? Now, perhaps that did happen, but I could not recall a single time that anyone asked for that type of prayer. And I think the reason for that is because in our culture, uh, gentleness has to do with being soft, sweet, docile, passive. Uh, these are things that, you know, we appreciate in babies and puppies, but for ourselves, you know, we, we want to have a little bit more of an edge. We want to be more doers, kind of forward-leaning kind of people. And so gentleness, not something that we aspire to. And yet I think the reason for that is because we don't understand what biblical gentleness looks like. The, the biblical vision of gentleness is actually quite compelling and robust. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I graduated from high school, and I was hired by a Christian conference center for the summer called Hume Lake Christian Camps. Anyone been up to Hume Lake before? Beautiful, beautiful location east of Fresno, up in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, next to big, uh, uh, Kings Canyon uh, State Park. Just, just lovely, lovely setting to have a job. And I was one of three wranglers on staff that summer. They had about two dozen horses. And so the three of us, we would take people for rides every day up into the beautiful mountains. I mean, what an awesome job is that, right? I mean, it was incredible. And uh, part of our responsibilities were to also care for the horses. And in very short order, I got to know their various personalities. It started with, I got to actually pick the horse that I would ride for the entire summer. And I just, I, I hit the jackpot when I picked this beautiful Appaloosa. If, if you know what Appaloosa is, they have this beautiful kind of painted coats. And this horse, his name was Apache. This was 
an amazing animal, fastest horse I've ever ridden in my life, and completely trustworthy. I mean, he just, we just had this amazing bond. And so uh, after a couple weeks, he just knew exactly what I expected. And we would, often in the afternoons, we would take campers on this 45-minute loop. And uh, truth be told, he got so good at just, you know, charting out the path and everything like that. I would, I would at, at times, I would take a nap <laughs> while we were going along. You're thinking, well, how? How do, you, how do you sleep when you're sitting upright? Well, some of you do it every week, so it is possible. <laughs> and I just doze off for, for 15, 20 minutes. I'd have, you know, <laughs> seven or eight kids on horseback behind me. <laughs> Did I mention I was 18 years old? <laughs> and the great thing was, as we approached the stables, we would have to cross through this creek, and it would be the splashing of his hooves that would wake me up, and I'd kind of straighten up and... Look back and go, well, I hope you all enjoyed your ride, and it was great having you along. I, I feel very relaxed and refreshed, and that was Apache. We also had a, a rather smallish, sway-backed horse named Blaze, and <laughs> Blaze did not live up to his name when it came to speed, okay? Blaze did not look forward to the summertime, he didn't like to take people on rides, just kind of plugged along, except when Blaze sensed that he had a timid or otherwise defenseless rider on his back, and then Blaze became a completely different animal. Blaze would try to rub them off on fence rails against a bush, a tree, buck them off, whatever he could do. Blaze essentially was evil, just pure evil. In fact, they probably named him Blaze because he came from the hot place. I'm, I'm convinced of that. <laughs> Our go-to horse for our smallest, most defenseless riders, little kids, turned out to be a massive draft horse named Caesar. Caesar was huge, weighed 2,000 pounds. And yet we would put five-year-old five kids on his back. His back was so immense, so broad, that they'd have to do the splits. There was just like no way they were going to reach the stirrup. They're just like, bing, legs sticking out like this. And even though they were perched higher on Caesar's back than any of the other horses, longer way to the ground, we never worried about them. They never went anywhere because Caesar, he'd just lumber along. Nothing spooked him. Nothing rattled him. The other horses didn't mess with him. He was the proverbial gentle giant. That's a picture of biblical gentleness. Because gentleness is power under control. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes. It's power under control. And you see this picture in Scripture of God being the very same way he's depicted in a similar way, I'll, I'll give you an example. In Isaiah 40, which is listed at the top of your notes, at verse 10, it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. This is a picture of God as a conquering hero, a, a God who is absolute in his power over opposition and when it talks about him uh, with his 
reward and his recompense accompanying him, that, that's a picture of a, a king returning from battle with the spoils of victory. And at times, with those that he has conquered, marching behind him in surrender and submission. Again, this is a picture of God's absolute, unquestioned power. And this was an assurance to his people that he was up to the task of being their God. And yet, in the very next verse, verse 11, it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Now, I want you to think about that. God could force us to follow him. God could compel us to do anything he wanted. And yet, he, he's not interested in a forced relationship with human beings. He's interested in a love relationship and so it's through his loving kindness and his gentleness that he calls us to himself. Despite his infinite power, he's gentle. I'll never forget, kind of seeing a picture of this, a little over a year ago. I mentioned this, some of you might remember this, but I want to share it again today. Uh, it was about the end of summer, 2017, uh, Memorial Day, or excuse me, Labor Day was right around the corner, and I, I had to run an errand, and so I'm pulling out of my driveway, and I look down the street for oncoming traffic, and I don't see a car, I actually see a full-grown sheep running up the road towards me, like just another day in Coralitas or something like that, and I think to myself, well, I probably ought to do something to help this animal, I don't want it to get hurt, or its owners, I'm sure, uh, value it, again, it was a beautiful animal. And so I back my truck up into the driveway, and by the time I get out of my car, the sheep has moved up onto the lawn. I want to call it, a, it's, it, technically it was a ewe, I guess, but I don't want to confuse you with the sheep, so I'm just going to call it a sheep. The sheep is now munching on my lawn and fertilizing it all at the same time, okay? <laughs> I try to approach it, but it won't let me get very close to it, maybe eight feet max, and then it would just move away. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll bribe it. And I run into the house, I grab a carrot out of the fridge, and I, I offer it to the sheep. And I discover that sheep are about as interested in carrots as people are. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no thanks. About this time, I see this couple coming up the street. I think they live across the street from the sheep, and, and so they know a little bit about this. And so they run up, and they've got this big leash in their hand, and clearly they're going to try to, you know, lasso it around his neck and then drag it back to its pen. And that's when I found out just how athletic this sheep was. I mean, the thing is darting all over my front yard, and there is just no way it is going to allow those people to get close to him with the leash. And right about that time, my next-door neighbor, Lisa, she comes out of the house. She's been watching this unfold. And she just glides past me, walks up to the sheep, and starts talking to it very softly, very sweet, like, oh, well, you, how are you today? Oh, well, well what are you doing up here? You, you must be lost. And this sheep just kind of like, perks his head and goes like, trots right up to her like they're long lost friends. <laughs> it turns out Lisa was a sheep whisperer. I did not know this about her. We'd been neighbors for a very long time. And I'm thinking, well, I, the sheep probably sensed that the fair was coming up. This was a good time to escape. But there's Lisa to save the day. And as she just speaks very kindly and gently to it. It just follows her right down the street. Never had to touch it. Follows her down to its yard, up into the back, goes right back into the pen. 
A week later, it was auctioned off at the county fair. No, I'm kidding. That didn't happen. I totally ruined it for some of you, huh? Yeah, sorry. It's okay. My point is this. Lisa didn't have to force it. She didn't have to bribe it. It simply was drawn to the sound of her gentle voice. And in this passage in Isaiah, if you read the whole chapter, it's really about God's announcing, hey, I'm going to come, I'm going to save, and I'm going to shepherd my people. And centuries later, when Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, I'm that good shepherd. And in, God, in John's uh, Gospel, chapter 10, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And as we hear his voice, as we follow him, something miraculous happens. He starts to change us. We begin to, little by little, we start to resemble him. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is developed in our lives. And back in Galatians 5, when we read those verses in 22 and 23, at verse 25, the Apostle Paul who wrote that, he essentially says, as we keep in step with the Spirit, the fruit will develop in our life. So just keep in step with the Spirit. Keep allowing yourself to be led by Him. And so I just want to point out this very simple sermon. I just want to point out three things that have to do with gentleness that, that develop as we keep in step with the Spirit. And the first one is this. As I keep in, the, in step with the Spirit, I will become more Gentle. It's as simple as that. And if you're a note taker, you've got to give me credit. That's the shortest fill-in ever in the history of this church right there. One letter. But you might be thinking to yourself, well, Mark, that's probably true for maybe most people. But me, <laughs> you don't understand. I've always had somewhat of an aggressive personality. Okay? I'm the kind of person who is easily aggravated. I'm the kind of person who, in fact, struggles with anger, and so I don't see how that would ever be me, that, that I would be a, 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 more and more a gentle person. But you know what? It's not about you. You might have the desire. You don't have the power. This is not about your willpower affecting this, this transformation. This is about the Spirit's power doing the Spirit's work in you. And over time, he will be su successful as we keep in step, as we yield ourselves to him. Look what the Apostle Paul says in one of his other letters. This is Colossians. And in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Now, let me ask you, who's doing all the doing here? God is. As, as Paul prays that the Spirit would, would fill them with the knowledge of the will of God and, and bear fruit and, and produce growth and strengthen us, that's the, the Spirit's ministry here. And as as we keep in step, these things will take place. Reminds me of when Laura and I were engaged, and like most couples, we're talking about our wedding day and all the various details. We're talking about 
uh, the reception and the, the song that we would use for our first dance together as husband and wife. And we chose uh, that song, At Last, by, well, I don't know, it's not by Nat King Cole, I think Etta James, but we did the Nat King Cole rendition of At Last. You know this song? Any of you know this song? Good, because I'm not going to sing it for you. If, <laughs> if you've got Nat King Cole playing in your head right now, I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, but it's a beautiful song, and you know, that's a moment. You know, it's everybody is watching you, and this one-time special first dance, and I'm on my way to just messing up because I, I'm just going, Laura, I'm going to look like a dork out there. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm just not up to the task. And, you know, I'd been to weddings, perhaps you've been to weddings where that first dance, it's cute, but it's kind of awkward too because the, the, the bride and groom, their dance skills have not advanced since the seventh grade. And that was me. I was in that lane for sure. And so Laura uh, decides to call in some reinforcements. And we go over to her parents' house and we're in the living room. And she says, now, I'm just going to call my parents out here and we're going to put on a song and I, I, want, I want you to see something. And she does this, the music starts to swell, and then something magical happens. Her mom and dad, I, they're just gliding around the room. So graceful, so smooth, so elegant. I mean, I was totally stunned. I mean, stunned because I'd never seen them do this before. Stunned because you know, they'd been church people for a long time, and church can some, sometimes kind of suck the dance out of you. You know what I mean? You know? I don't mean to, I'm just kind of being real here, but anyway. They were stunning. They were uh, uh, amazing. And so Laura says, okay, now you and I, we get up and we're dancing. And, and I'm the whole time I'm holding Laura, but I'm watching her father. I'm watching his feet. I'm watching his moves. And I'm awkward and I'm clumsy at first. And I'm awkward and clumsy at second. But over the course of some time and some practice, no one was going to confuse me with Fred Astaire. That's for sure. Or even her father. But I did grow in the process of watching his steps. And that's the beauty and, and the power of what Paul's talking about in Galatians 2, or Galatians 5, as, as we keep in step with the Spirit, the music of God's grace, it fills us, and we, we get caught up in who he intends us to be, and we become more grace-filled along the way. And as it happens, I become more gentle, my heart starts to resemble his heart. And also, in, in the process, my speech will also become more gentle. Now, again, we have some common objections to this. Some of us might say, well, you know what, Mark? I, I've always been the kind of person, you know, I just say it like it is, and I let the chips fall. You know, I'm just a blunt person. That's the way I've always been. I can't imagine I'd ever change. Or, or you know, I grew up in a family. It's just, we all run hot. We're just passionate people. We get in each other's face, and we just kind of hash it all out. It's what we do. It's how we roll. Well, that may explain why you speak to others the way you do, but it doesn't necessarily excuse it. You know what I'm saying? Back to Colossians. In chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Let your conversation be occasionally full of grace. <laughs> yeah, that's what we want it to say, huh? Some of you are following along. Some of you are taking that 15, 20-minute nap right now, but... Let your conversation be what? Always. always, always, 
always full of grace, which sounds like gentle speech to me. Now, this may look different from family to family or culture to culture, but the, the bottom line, the test is really this, because the opposite of gentleness is harshness. You can't be gentle and harsh at the same time. And so it, it may not have to do so much with the volume of my words as it does the impact. And I ask myself, do my words hurt or do they help? And just as an aside, I think people who are known for their gentle speech carry a lot more authority when they do, perhaps, raise their voice or have to say something in candor because they're not just, you know, being a hothead all the time. Those moments are, are, are few and far between. But this is, a, this is a real issue in our culture, and I'm sure this doesn't come as a newsflash to you, but I mean, you can, you can tune into a heated argument on television or social media, media anytime you want, 24-7. It passes as entertainment in our culture now. Unless we just look out at the world and go, yeah, that's too bad. This can be a real problem. It is a real problem at times in Christian cultures, in Christian churches. Let me ask you if you've ever experienced this. I know from my own life, I have various friends, guys I surf with, or people I know in the community. They would not profess to be Christians. In fact, they would say they believe either nothing or maybe a little of everything. And yet I find them to be very pleasant, delightful people. I enjoy their company. Our friendship is genuine. I like being with them. And I hope to influence them in the ways of Christ. And at the same time, I've had experiences with Christians, and perhaps you have as well. All they ever want to do is argue or talk about what's wrong with everything and everyone. It's just kind of one harangue after the other. And I go, what, what's going on? There's a historian and theologian named Martin Marty, and he puts it this way. He says, people today who are civil often don't have very strong convictions, and people who have strong convictions often aren't very civil. Do <laughs> you agree with that? Think about this. The very first Christians, the first century Christians, those who followed in the years after Jesus, they grew up in a very hostile environment. In fact, the more their numbers grew, the more the opposition and the pressure against them intensified. And leading them, at least one of their leaders, an elder statesman of the church in the decades following Christ, is Peter. And you've probably read about Peter in the Gospels, famously kind of spouting out at the mouth. And now here's Peter, this winsome, wizened, man, who in that context, with that kind of hostility to people who are being treated unjustly, they're not getting fair treatment in their community or by their government. He says this, he says in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 15, he says, always, oh, there's that word again, always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. What about when I'm not being spoken to that way? No, always. And think about it. These folks, did they have strong convictions? 
You better believe they did. They had to have conviction strong enough, faith strong enough to withstand the intense pressure that was being levied against them. See, true power isn't just kind of blowing people away with your words. True power is being able to speak with gentleness and respect in the face of hostile words. And just as Peter would grow in gentleness, so do we, again, as we keep in step with the Spirit in my heart, in my speech, and finally, in my view towards others. As I keep in step with the Spirit, my view towards others will become more gentle. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this in chapter 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And this is one of a number of occasions where the Apostle Paul will mention uh, humble and gentle right next to each other in the same phrase. And there's a reason for this. And the reason is that because humility comes when I have a, a clear view of myself before God. You know, humility isn't like thinking that you're just a worm. Humility is seeing yourself with clarity. Realizing God loves me, but, but everything I need in terms of, of the life that he has for me, I'm completely dependent on him. I mean, the only thing that I brought to the, to the table was my sin, and yet through his grace, he cleanses me and he empowers me to live the life I was created to live. I mean, that will humble you the more you realize that, the deeper that gets into your heart and soul, the more it will humble you in a good and godly way. And so when that happens, it changes my view of others. You might put it this way, having a clear view of myself about my need for grace, that's where humility comes from, that gives me a charitable view towards others. I realize, hey, we're all a work in progress here. A pastor named Andy Stanley, he tweeted this week, he said, the more conscious I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what he has yet to do in others. And if you think about it, you know, the, hey, is there a time and place to uh, voice our concerns or, or challenge an assumption or something like that? Of course there is. But at the same time, we need to recognize, and this will allow us to do that in a humble way, the only person with, with the pure moral high ground, the only one who really deserves to be critical of others is God himself because he has perfect clarity, a perfect vantage point. And yet when God sends his son to the earth, Jesus doesn't come to condemn it. He comes to save it. And it's that gentle Savior that we see in John chapter 8, for example. When some very self-righteous religious people, they bring a woman caught in adultery, and never mind the fact that they don't have the guy there, they just have the woman there, and they bring her before Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus, by law, we can pick up these stones and we can kill her for the sin. What say you? And I love John's account there because it says that Jesus is drawing in the dirt. He's down on his haunches. And I don't know, he's just waiting for these guys to finish their speech, their <laughs> tirade, take a breath. And he stands up. And he says, this is what I say. Let's have him who 
has no sin throw the first stone. And you know the story, one by one, they all just walk away. And he turns to this woman, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? In amazement, she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. And for some of you, the person that you have the hardest time being gentle with isn't someone out there. It's you. You feel so unworthy. You feel like such a... You just beat yourself up over and over again. It's almost like psychologically you stone yourself. There is a gentle Savior who came to save you and forgive you. Jesus Christ. It's the same Jesus who in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, he's walking through a town and the crowd swells to such a, a, a size that there's a, a little guy who wants to see him, but he can't see over anyone else. So he climbs up a tree and he waits for Jesus to come. And, and Jesus looks up and there's Zacchaeus and everybody hates Zacchaeus because he's a tax collector. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. For today, today, I must come to your house. Stunning. And maybe you feel small. You feel unlovely. You feel you're on the outs of your community or your family or whatever it is. And Jesus says, today, I want to come to your house. Will you let him in? Will you let him bring his gentle presence and his gentle rule to your household? He wants to come today. Or maybe today, like me, you find yourself in a moment of, of grief. Lisa, who I mentioned earlier, our dear neighbor and sheep whisperer, uh, she's so much more than a neighbor for us. Uh, we we loved her so dearly. Our kids have only known a world with, with Lisa, who, who was in very, very real way a member of our family and our household. She would just pop in whenever, and, and we loved it. We loved seeing her all the time. So dear and generous to us. And about 10 days ago, uh, she passed away um, after a very valiant battle with cancer, a journey that we went through with her. I said to Renee and Valerie, um, if there's only one time in my life that I will be able to say that I loved my neighbor as I love myself, I did so with Lisa. And um, so we're grieving, we're sad. Our, our kids are very, very sad. And maybe you find yourself in a similar place. Well, I want to remind you, just as I remind myself, that we have a gentle and good shepherd who promises to gather us up in his arms and carry us close to his heart. And that's not just poetry, that's real. If that's you, or whatever your circumstances, whatever your past, 
Jesus says to all of us today, as Matthew records, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good? Let's, let's go to him right now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful Savior that you've given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that you, you are everything that we need. And Lord, I pray for those today, they've been struggling in this area, they find themselves at times speaking or behaving in a way that's more harsh than they would like when they have a moment to kind of cool down and, and look back on it. And that can be a very pernicious thing. I pray for your healing. I pray for your, your growth in their lives and your transformation of their hearts, their tongues, their actions and attitudes. I pray that for myself. And Lord, I pray for any of us, uh, Lord, here today, who, where, uh, like the woman that I spoke about, or like Zacchaeus, they, they've seen you from a distance, but then when they encounter you, they hear your voice calling them and drawing them. And, and so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or within the sound of my voice, that they would see, Lord Jesus, I want to respond to your call. I want to I say, count me in. I will follow you. I admit I need you. I have sinned. I have failed. Thank you for taking my sins upon yourself, for taking the blame and the punishment on the cross, for dying for me. Thank you that when they laid you in that tomb, you didn't stay there. And so, Lord, we're talking to a living Lord, not a historical figure merely. We know you hear us. We know you're here by your spirit. And so we place our lives in your hands and your care, whether it's in this moment or after walking with you for decades. And for any Lord who, like me and my wife and kids, I'm, sh I'm sure there are people in this room that there's, there's a fresh grief in their life or there's, a, there's an old grief that just, boy, it just sticks with them. It's just so deep. Pray for the tender care of our shepherd today. Bind our wounds and continue to carry us close to your heart. Pray this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.